Welcome to the Behind Their Business Podcast, the show that's peeling back the curtain and showing what's actually happening behind the scenes of running a business. I'm your host, Steph Blake, and each week you'll hear from women at all levels of business who are showcasing their stories of struggle and triumph as they juggle business ownership with day-to-day life. Join us to hear inspiring stories and strategies for starting and growing your own business. Hey everybody, Steph Blake here, and I am so glad that you are here for this week's episode. As usual, it is going to be amazing, so you are in for a treat. But before we dive into that episode, I want you to join our private and 100% free and supportive community for business owners to connect in called the Confident CEO Community. So if you have not joined us yet, here is your invitation to come and join us. Each week I also do a live training to share my best tips and tricks for scaling an online business the easy way. We talk about strategy, team building, mindset, tools, automation, and everything in between to help you confidently step into the CEO role in your business. So you can go to confidentceocommunity.com to join us today. And now let's dive in to this discussion with our incredible guest. Welcome back to the Behind Their Business podcast. If you are an avid listener of the show, or if this is your first time listening, then welcome. We're so glad that you are here today on the show. Our guest is going to share the truth about spirits and paranormal investigations and her experience as a hypnotherapist. And you may be wondering what this has to do with business, but this is the business that she's in, which is so cool. And I'm just so excited for her to share her story with you because she has a lot of stories to share. So this will not be a boring episode by any means. She's also the best-selling author of 16 novels, a licensed death scene investigator, a private investigator, She worked as a funeral home management consultant for 10 years and has been a paranormal investigator for over 27 years. So you can imagine the things that she's seen in that time. So please welcome to the show, Deborah LeBlanc. I'm so glad that you are here and sharing your story with us. Well, thank you so much for having me on your program, Stephanie. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, all right, we have a lot to talk about. So let's just start with your journey from the corporate world. So I know that you were Um, in the corporate world for a while before starting your business. So can you share a little bit about that experience and why you chose to step into the world of entrepreneurship? My father, uh, most of it had to do with my dad. My my parents had split up when I was about eight years old. And I was raised by um, an emotional and physically abusive mother. Um, so my my whole deal was to protect my brother and my sister. But I always idolized my dad. He was never around him much, but I knew where to find him. And anytime I went over to talk to him, he would stop whatever he was doing and just sit and listen to me. And he always taught me that no matter what you put your mind to, if you're willing to work hard enough and sacrifice, you can become anything you want. And I, I took that as gospel. Okay, so I started off, um, I was married very young at 16, had my first child at 18, and realized I had married a male version of my mother. Well, you know, before, but I mean, I'm from South Louisiana, and I'm Catholic, which, you know, equals guilt and guilt. What do you have? Just this big web of crooked guilt. And you so I stuck with him. 
we had three daughters. Um, and I jumped into the oil field business, which was um, something I knew that would make money for my family. If I was going to be dependent on my then husband, uh, I have my then and my now husband. Okay, my then husband would, um, we would be on welfare. I knew that. Uh, he couldn't hold the job for anything. Uh, he couldn't take constructive criticism and blah, blah, blah. And so I, though I wanted a degree in, I wanted for my doctorate in um, psychiatry, I had to go into marketing. I got a bachelor's in marketing. And the only place to go was the oil field. Women didn't do oil field back then. You know, that was a man's world. I was going to my next question. How many women were in there with you? Zero. Just you? Oh, I can't say zero. There were two other women that I knew of in the state who sold, but they sold by short skirts and very low cut, you know, Mm -hmm. tops. I didn't go that route. I wore box suits. You could not tell my figure from it. You couldn't tell if it was male or female unless I turned sideways. Right. (laughs) I went. I made sure that I knew more than the men that I spoke to, and there was only one time I had to walk out of a guy's office because he was basically propositioning me right there. Um, but I did. I did earn the respect of a lot of people, and in a short time, about five years, I became the executive vice president of that transportation company. I was responsible for 500 men, and was there for 12 years. Then I had an opportunity from a friend of mine in London. Uh, There was a new technology coming out that would allow retail um, retailers of fuel, Texaco, Shell, whoever, um, to monitor their fuel instead of using these big long sticks in the ground in the fuel tanks. They'd measure by an ultrasonic gauge my brain started calculating back and forth. I thought, you know, they, they, there was, if, if somebody could create a logistics company that would manage the fuel distribution, then these, these end users wouldn't be robbed because they were being robbed. Either if the transportation company was running low on revenue, they'd stack those tanks full of fuel. So the end user had to carry that, um, excess inventory on their books at the end of the year. If the rack or the fuel supplier was running low on revenue, they'd do the same thing. Okay, so whether, and they normally, these end users would typically have either the supplier or the transportation company managing the fuel because they didn't understand distribution. I knew there needed to be a cop in the middle of that managing it. So, I don't know if it was naivete or just, you know, I was used to having a set of brass balls by that time um, <laughs> because I'd been, you know, I was in a man's world, but it was going to be my way or the highway. You know, it was not going to be what Mr. Man wanted over here. So what I did was I collected different IT people, somebody that understood about fuel things, somebody that understood stood about data processing and programming. And I created a system called um, uh, Central Control Systems was the name of the company. Focus was the name of the program I created, which was a fuel ordering carrier utilization system. It didn't exist anywhere. And 
it just so happened that the program went live the moment hypno hypnotherapy, the moment that hypermarts started. Hypermarts were like, you know, an Albertsons or a Safeway or whomever had fuel in front of the grocery stores. They did not. They were even less, more confused about how to do fuel distribution. So I would go to them and say, I'm the solution to your problem. And this is what I can do, blah, blah, blah. I went from, I'd left a mid-figure, um, mid-six-figure income, annual income, to zero to start this company. I did management consulting in funeral homes to pay to grow that company. I didn't want to go to the bank. I didn't want to mortgage anything. So I paid for it. That's how I paid for it, by doing consulting work. And so what was the catalyst that led to leaving this job? Was there one big event that happened? Yes, that brainstorm, okay. that phone oh, call oh. from London. Got it. Okay, great. Okay. I started putting the pieces together and I said, you either are going to go all in or you're going to leave this alone because it was, it was haunting me day and night. And I said, I'm all in. I just knew my gut knew this was going to fly. And within two years of starting, we were already grossing in revenue $2 million. Oh my I sold that company seven years ago um, and it was a multinational, multi-million dollar corporation by that time. Wow. Well, good for you. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Just right timing. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. So you were doing all of that. And then you said you did the funeral management, funeral home, yep. Yep. I'm sorry, consulting. Um, and then how did that lead into the para paranormal side of things? <laughs> that's it what didn't. I'm really intrigued about. It didn't. Oh, really? It didn't. No. What led me into it was my middle daughter. She came to me. My middle daughter was the kind that was, if a car was moving, she was in it. Okay. She was a go, 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 go. Nobody was a stranger. She talked to everyone. Well, it happened that she became friends with the producer of MTV's Fear program. And he was looking for scouts for supposedly haunted locations in Louisiana. So she just called and she said, mom, do you want to give it a shot? Do you want to come with us? I said, oh yeah, I'm in. Okay. I was all, all, always interested in the afterlife. And um, so, I mean, all we had back then were disposable cameras, a compass, and like I said, that set of brass balls because we went into some weird places. And I was hooked from there. That was now it's almost 30 years I've been doing it. Now I've got every piece of equipment you see on these paranormal investigation shows. That's so interesting. So, okay. All right. So, and I, all right. I'm, I'm trying to conceptualize all this because I know that you've done so many things. So you were also a licensed death scene investigator. Where did that come in with the parent? I'm assuming this was after this experience with MTV, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. I was and what does in, that mean specifically, the death scene investigator? Okay. A death scene investigator is able to hang around while the police, they're, they're there while the police are doing, taping off the death scene, you know, or the, the homicide or suicide scene. Okay. And what we would do or what I was doing in consulting with funeral homes to earn my stripes, 
I had to go through the whole process. I had, I helped with embalmings. I helped in morgues uh, with autopsies. So I've, I've helped pick up more bodies than you can count. And what always got my curiosity was when we went into a homicide scene, I was picking up um, information. Let me just say, I'm pick, was picking up information that, that I knew, again, my gut was telling me they're looking in the wrong direction, but I couldn't say anything, okay? I was, I was not on their team. I picked up the body, we left with the body. That's what the funeral home did. Well, it just so happened that there was um, a university in Dalton, Georgia, that was offering either seasoned uh, patrol officers or anyone who'd been in funeral service for 10 years could go in and become a, a licensed death scene investigator. And guess who had been in funeral service by that time for 10 years as a consultant? Because I was building that business, I had my other one growing. So it's like, okay, what did I'm gonna have to let one go? Well, it was gonna be the funeral home. But I was fascinated with this stuff because the stories I was writing books at this time as well, it was such a great place for fodder, you know? For, for stories, because I wrote paranormal suspense. Go figure. And there, um, so it led to that. I was able to get in, and then I was able to be with the police officers as they taped off the scene, as they, as they looked in one direction or another, and was able to ask questions without them saying, look, dummies, you were looking in the wrong direction. I would ask a question in a roundabout way that would get them turned in a different direction. So I was able to help that way. I wanted to get behind the scenes. That was me. I need to be, I need to have my hands, feet, everything stuck in, stuck in the middle of everything I do. This is blowing my mind. I did not know that a death scene investigator, I, I assume that had something to do with law enforcement. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't realize that was another profession. So that's, that's so cool. Um, all right. So you were also, I know you wrote some novels during the time. Were those um, fiction novels? Yes. All fiction. Okay. okay. So cool. Oh, except and for one, except for one, it's a nonfiction um, that helps writers. It teaches them how to write um, three books at the same time. Wow. Okay. That's, also sounds like a lot of work <laughs> to do three books <laughs> at the same time. Wow. That's amazing. Um, all right. So are you doing any more of, I know you're in hypnotherapy now, so I would yes. like to transition to that, but are you still doing any of the paranormal? Oh, yes. Any, any, okay. So what are you still doing today? I'm just curious more than anything. Um, the team that I work with is um, Paradigm Paranormal and also one called Through the Veil. Now, Through the Veil has been offered um, a series with Netflix. Um, the head or the lead investigator for Through the Veil is Steve Blaze, who's with Lillian Axe, which is, I had no clue who that was, but since the 80s, they've put out like 12 albums. So, you know, he's, he was just inducted into the Louisiana Hall of Fame. Okay, it's headbanging music, which has me, no, no, no. I don't go Yeah, I have, I have no idea. No. Mm -mm. Um, so 
I'm still involved with them, but because Steve is really promoting a new album that's coming out, I'm now working with Paladine Paranormal. Um, and in fact, next week we have a house a home that we're going to check out. It's a mother with two children who um, we, we usually do a pretty thorough predetermination, whether we're dealing with a, you know, a person with mental issues or something that's really going on. And um, the kids are being scratched, the mother's being pushed, uh, lights going off and on by themselves. So we're going to check it out. Okay, that's Next okay. Week. So I'm very curious about this because so how long have you been doing that kind of work, like going into other people's homes? Has that that's been about 30 years, almost 30 years? Okay, so have uh, I don't even know how to phrase this. I would love to hear some of your favorite stories, if you can pick, because I'm sure there's there's a Man. lot. So I would love to know a story that had a good outcome, so a positive outcome for maybe the family. Does that help narrow it down a bit? Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, we were doing an investigation of, okay, this involved, again, um, a film crew from MTV. Have you heard of something called, are you the one? Maybe it's like not. teenagers. They look like teenagers to me. I mean, everybody today looks like a teenager to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you reach a certain age, it's like a police officer pulls you over and you want to say, look, I'm going to put you on your knees if you don't behave yourself. Okay, stop with the attitude. <laughs> anyway, um, we were asked to come in, do, do some investigation, but they were bringing in the recent teens or young men, women who were supposed to pair off. Go figure. Um, so we did. We did an investigation. I, I sensed that there was some presence up in a master bedroom, um, but they were more interested in getting the kids there, letting them use our equipment and making them go upstairs so of course the kids scared themselves more than anything else and what happened i'm known as they're a clairsyndium i'm clairvoyant sensitive and a medium okay and one of the girls was coming off of the balcony uh from upstairs i could see her and just and sometimes this just happens i just i I looked at her and she just somehow she just turned and looked at me and I said, there's a good friend of yours that just passed away. Isn't there a young guy named Blake? And she just froze. And I said, he just wants you to know that he's still looking out for you. He still loves you and he wants you to be happy to move on. And she just broke down and started crying. Well, I'm thinking, okay, my job's done because that's all I do. Deliver the message, get out. I'm leaving and there's this chunky guy standing off in the corner against the wall. And I'm telling my partner, I said, who's that guy? And he goes, uh, he's the producer <laughs> of this program. I said, oh my gosh. There is an elderly, short elderly woman standing next to him that is just like jumping out of her skin to give him a message. And I said, I'm going to have to go. He said, go. 
I'm thinking, okay, oh my God, what do I do? And I just went up to him and it said, because if I don't give that message, it's going to follow me. That okay, was going to so be my I next do. question. If you don't deliver it. Okay. Yeah. It's going to follow me. Right. Um, which has another story behind that where I learned that the hard way. Um, anyway, I went up to this guy and I introduced myself and I said, I just needed to, this may be seem a little odd to you, but I said, I, there is an elderly woman about yay high and I did this and I told him what she was wearing, the kind of color of her hair, how it was shaped. And I said, she, her face is beaming with love and adoration for you. She says, she, look at my boy. I'm so proud of all he's done and all he's become. And this humongous guy just starts sobbing. It's he was raised by his grandmother. And from, I mean, she had nothing. They had nothing. He, she never got to see what he, how he ranked up in the world. And I said, she sees you now. And she's so, so proud of you. And I mean, this guy was only all but on his knees crying. It's so worth it when it's stuff like that, you know? Oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, that's, that's so, those are such good stories. Thank you for sharing those. I would love, if you don't mind sharing this story about, you said the message is following you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I was at um, a writer's conference where I was uh, to be a speaker and we were, they had invited all the speakers to, for dinner the night before. And I'm sitting with four other gentlemen at this table. Of course, me and all men. That's my, that's my life. And I'm sitting with these gentlemen and they're talking and chatting. And I'm just kind of listening. And something's catching my attention. And it, I can't hear the other guy speaking because this white haired guy sitting right here has someone named Mary tied to him and she has a message she wants to give him and I said I'm I'm telling myself you better shut your mouth girl you just showed up at this place these people don't know you I'm not spilling the beans okay well I didn't talk to him I didn't tell him anything I went to to the hotel room that night and all night long I kept hearing Mary 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 Mary, I'm telling you, if I got two hours of sleep that night, it was a lot. I said, I finally got up. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. After the the speeches, everybody went into, it was um, a Kentucky book festival that we attended afterward. This was like the size of the inside of a Walmart. It was huge. And I said, if it's to be, if this is really the deal, then he's going to find me. Okay, now when I'm telling you, it's just, it, imagine yourself sitting in one corner in a crowded room and somebody is looking for you at the other end. Okay, and I'm sitting down and there's a sea of heads over me. I said, okay, if it's to be, he'll find me and I'll give him the message. Who do you think showed up at my table 15 minutes later? Of course, of course. Yes, yes. So I told them, I said, I said, I'm so grateful that you're here because there's somebody that has been with me all night d- determined to give you this message. And I said, do you have someone very close to you named Mary that has passed on? And he just kind of looked at me and he goes, my wife. I said, she wants you to know that the quiet is not so bad. And 
he uh, again, it's always a sob story. He's crying because one thing he was always afraid of since his wife died was the quiet because she hated it. She would have music going, TV, two TVs blaring. She was she feared silence. And that's was the message. Yeah. Out of the like, I don't know what that means. You know, I and don't that's know. that's not something I, that you can make up. <laughs> you cannot make up that story. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not like, oh, she's here to say she loves you and she's fine. Every Anybody can say that, right? right. It's so specific to him and their yes. experience together. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing those stories. Now, I want to dive into the hypnotherapy part of it a little bit yeah. um, for the last like 10-ish five, 10 minutes that we have together. So how, how did you get started with your hypnotherapy practice that you have? About seven, it's going on seven years now. Um, I lost uh, my middle and youngest daughter and a three-year-old grandbaby within a four-year span. And when my last daughter died, my middle daughter died. Um, I just, I just put the brakes on in my life. And I said, you know, I went to work, built a successful business, but it was to raise my family, okay? To raise my girls, give them opportunities in life to, to kind of choose or experience different things so they could choose a path that excited them. Well, my oldest was on her own. Um, and now I had two of them dead and a grandbaby. I said, what are you doing with your life now? And when I was a little girl, because I was raised, you know, with an abusive mother, I, only, I always dreamed of being one of three things, a nun, Superman, or a psychiatrist. Okay. Well, the psychiatry thing, that didn't work out because I had to work um, and school would take too long. Superman, I tried, you know, like to break my arm, but it didn't work. And the nun, forget about it. <laughs> no. So... I said, I, I, I just I just wandered around for months, just in a fog. And I, my now husband was looking to do something with the road. And I was trying to investigate on, on Google how much dirt would be needed for a one mile road filter. And I'm Googling this instead of dirt popping up, this college information pops up on hypnotherapy. And I just froze and started clicking around that site. And I, my heart was beating faster, 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 faster. And I said, this is what, this is where you need to go. I just knew this was the direction you need to go. I jumped in, um, you know, graduated with honors, um, graduated with honors, the director's award, clinical awards and achievement awards. Um, I became certified in 50 different modalities. Um, it, was a, it was such a natural fit. It was like I had been doing it all my life. And, you know, I don't have any particular specialties. What I'm looking for is people who hurt anywhere, whatever your, whatever your issue is. All of my daughters dealt with depression and anxiety because of the father that was not a father. Mm-hmm. And had I known then what I know now, I could have helped them through it. So 
it's like renewed mission for life. You know, this is what I was supposed to be doing all along. All the rest was just life experiences that helped create empathy and sympathy for people where they are. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just so accepting sorry. them for where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so sorry to hear about your your daughters and your grandbaby. That's just never, never easy, never, never easy on any level to go through to talk about. So thank you for sharing that. And it's also sounds kind of beautiful in a way, like they kind of, their lives led you to this moment. Like that was, that was yeah. their mission in life so that now you can help even more people. That's true. My, in fact, if you go to my website, you'll see that my logo is like a, a butterfly, but sideways. You see it's wing. Yeah. Um, when my grandbaby passed away, we were leaving the cemetery and out of nowhere appeared this huge, and I'm talking this big, what, huh? what is that? Four or five inches? That's big. Wingspan, butterfly, yellow. And it just hovered right in my face, just right. I just stopped and watched it and just stayed right there. For I'm telling you, it had to be two or three minutes and then just gently went away. And I knew that I knew that was a sign from my grandbaby because I, we I was so close to her. She was autistic, you know, and I just had a connection with her that was unbelievable. So she's everywhere. She's everywhere. Yeah, that's, I have uh, her logo on my site, that logo yeah. on my site. That's that's so great. So can you share a couple of examples of the types of hypnotherapy practice that you do, practices that you do with your clients today? Oh my gosh. If okay, you can narrow so, it down. I know you said you're, um, there's 15 okay. plus modalities, so that's a lot. But what are the most common ones, I guess, if you could narrow it down? Uh, fears and phobias, anxiety, depression, smoking cessation, weight loss, um, I can, uh, people help people lower their blood pressure, um, worry, uh, pessimism, um, social phobias, you know, whatever phobias they may be having, sleep disorders, people that have insomnia, um, hopelessness and despair. Uh, those are the most common ones, common ones we get, you know, because of just today's environment. Oh, absolutely. And I'm assuming you do these virtually and in person? Just virtually. Just because for, oh, my clients are all over the world. Right. I have some in Switzerland, Australia, uh, Canada, England, Nigeria. I have one in Nigeria. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we're talking because this is this is a good time to be talking about this because I'm sure there are actually not. I'm sure. I know that there are a lot of people experiencing the different things that you have mentioned that you helped with. So if you are listening to this and you need help with anything Deborah has mentioned, she is the person to go to. So thank you again for being here, Deborah. I know that we just scratched the surface with your story, with your journey, but I appreciate you being here and um, sharing your stories with us, talking about what you do now. So before we hop off, do you have any just last minute words of wisdom for anybody listening today about let's say about running a business in general, because I know you all about running a business. If you have a dream and it's right sitting right in your gut and you know that, you know, it's right. Don't lose that dream. Hang on with the fingernails. If you have to claw you the whoever's eyes out that that is trying to be naysayers because I had them all over me, you know, just hang on, even if it's by the fingernails, because you'll get there. You'll get there. That's perfect. Yes. I, 
wholeheartedly agree with that. So if somebody wants to connect to you, I know you mentioned your website, is that the best place or are there other social media platforms that are better? They just go to mindpasstherapies.com. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes too for easy access. So thank you again for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Behind Their Business podcast with me, Steph Blake of the Blake Collective, which is a female-led company focused on helping online entrepreneurs start and scale their own businesses. If you or someone you know would make a great guest for the show, we would love to interview you. Visit our website at behindtheirbusiness.com to submit a short application and learn more about the show and how you can support our mission. If you enjoyed the show, we would love for you to share it with a friend or a loved one too. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you again for listening to the Behind Their Business podcast.